right. Hi, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. My name is Peter Miller. Uh, I'm here with Ian and Gemma for the Big Scuba Podcast. Uh, we hope you guys stay tuned. We're going to talk about scuba diving, uh, NASA, the space program, and uh, why you should get certified. So thank you so much, and uh, please enjoy. Hello, and welcome back to the Big Scuba. This is Ian, and also with me is... Gemma. Yes, and here we are once again. So thank you very much for downloading us again. Thank you. Uh, before we get to who's coming up, this is 46, Jen. Episode 46. 46. Yes. So what yeah. interesting facts have you got? I'm so pleased you've asked. Because 46, did you know, Jen, that is the centred triangle number? Did you know that? About number 46? But also, are you a superbike fan? Quite a few divers are. You know, they like sports and things. Are you? Do you like superbikes? Are they motorbikes? Yes. Yeah. We talk, we talk motor racing, Jeff. Well, superbikes could be like super nice bikes. Yes, they are. And do you, you'll, you'll be pleased to hear then that Valentino Rossi, uh, world champion. Oh, I've heard of him. He's Italian. Yes, yes, he is. And he rides with the number 46. So 46 is a good number, you know. And also, did you know 46, there's 46 Books in the Old Testament. So there we are. We covered everything. We covered maths, religion, sports, and being a winner. There we go. Everything's covered. And that's it for the podcast. Thank you very much and good night. <laughs> Come here for your useful facts. And yep. why, why else would you download the Big Scoop podcast? Yeah? You don't think we're going to talk about diving and stuff. Really? Anyway, should we get on with it? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Right. Okay, glad you uh, just reminded me because I knew there was a reason why we do these things. Coming up on the Big Scoop podcast, we have a new guest for you. Another one. And this one, um, he contacted us uh, to introduce himself and say, hey, you let's come on and... Tell, let me tell you about what I do because you kind of mentioned me on your podcast and we're like, oh, this sounds brilliant. Let's get him on. And because because he's a diver, what sort of diver is he, Jen? Please, please tell. A dive operations specialist at NASA's Neutral Buoyancy Laboratory. He certainly is. So uh, what Peter does, Peter Miller, who's our guest, he, he basically moves astronauts about. In their big suits. He does. So when they're in and they're practicing, you know, what the, the space walks are like, you know, if you haven't, in fact, you know, bef maybe before you listen to this one, go back to 31, they download NASA's, when we talk to astro uh, NASA astronaut, Mike Fink. Mike Fink, you know, you might want to listen to that one first. So let's pause now. But anyway, you might want to listen to that one first and then dial back to this one. Right, it's all getting a bit complicated, but dial back to this one, and then it all makes sense what Peter Miller is now going to tell you. Because basically, Peter Miller, he moves people about it. So when, when the astronauts are in their, their gear and they want practice doing spacewalks and, and doing nuts and bolts on the... Um, yeah, he makes their experience feel as space-like and flight-like. So they are like they would feel in space or on the International Yeah, space. so they get them neutrally buoyant, don't they, you know, in the suits. And he's actually had a go very recently, just, I think literally the week before we spoke to Peter, he'd actually been in the suit gym and they'd actually, he got to that experience as well. Same as what Mike Fink, uh, Fink had done. And he got to actually experience what it's like actually to 
use the suit and you know how to maneuver and he's going to talk to us about diving and how you know how he's progressed through his diving career um, and yes he he also links in with another previous guest where's your guest with um keller. from manta pacific hello keller if you're listening and uh, so again you may want to now pause again Go back to when we spoke to Manta Pacific on episode, on episode. I don't know what it was. Hang on. Episode 29. So you might want to pause this. Go back to episode 29 when we spoke to Keller on the Manta Pacific. And you'll hear, man, you'll hear all about the Manta Pacific. So it ties in for that one as well. You know, people just think we wing this, but we actually do organise it is it even surprises me sometimes but hey so if you're now back from listening to episode 31 might think and you're also back from listening to episode 29 and listen to all about the wonderful things that they're doing on the man of pacifics we're now going to be talking to peter miller yeah and basically the neutral buoyancy lab is a massive swimming pool it's 31 meters by 61 meters and it's 12 meters deep it is feet 102 by 202 feet and it's 40 feet deep it is so on that one previous one that's all about the space and how it links in with scuba diving but this one is all about the actual scuba diving the actual in the water and also about what peter's done before yeah uh, you know in his career yeah so it's all good interesting stuff it certainly is so let's not hold people up anymore jim let's crack on with it and We'll listen, sit back and chill out to Peter. Peter Miller, episode 46 on the Big Scuba Podcast. Where else would you go? Come down to? I've never lost myself without you. Hi, everyone. Hello, Peter. Hi. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great. Thank you. Yeah. How are you guys? Yeah. Sorry about the, you know, being like dinner time for you. <laughs> Yeah, no worries. Uh, it's uh, it's my pleasure. Um, you guys interviewed. I think I mentioned you guys interviewed one of my former coworkers not too long ago uh, in September, Keller Laros. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 So uh, you know, I I texted him and let him know I was doing this, and uh, I was like, "Are they nice?" And he's like, "Yeah, they're great." <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, thank you very much, Peter, for coming on and uh, joining us. Peter Miller, welcome to the Big Scuba podcast. Uh, it was really great uh, to thank you very much for joining us. So oh, my pleasure. tell us a little bit about who you are and uh, tell us a little bit about what you do at the Neutral Buoyancy Laboratory. Yeah, no worries. No worries, Ian. Thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to, to be here and uh, to talk about, um, you know, this amazing facility that we have um, uh, at NASA in the US. Um, so, so my official job title is Dive Operations Specialist, which sounds a lot fancier uh, than it is. Um, but the job itself is very cool. So what I do is I am one of the people that is in our, our giant uh, water tank, right? Um, it's a huge swimming pool. Um, 102 feet wide, 202 feet long, and 40 feet deep. Um, holds 6.2 million gallons of water. And um, I am one of the people on scuba in the water with suited subjects, mainly astronauts, but they can also be engineers. They can also be test conductors. Um, and assisting them with their run, uh, with their suited run. Um, and 
what that means in sort of practical terms is that we as the divers try to make their experience as flight-like or space-like as possible, right? And um, we do that in, in a myriad of ways. I don't know if you want me to get into the nitty gritty right now, since this is kind of an overall, but basically we, we just, like I said, try to make their experiences as flight-like, space-like as possible um, for their duration uh, in the pool. Yeah. So they, they will have the, the full suit on as they right. would be in the And then I think from our discussions with Mike, he was saying that, that you that you guys, the divers, mm -hmm. uh, you actually help them move, actually physically help them move because of the, the size of the pressures. Yeah, yeah. Um, so basically, during a, a suited run, a diver can have one of three roles. And uh, what Mike uh, was referring to is is one of the three roles that a diver can have. Um, I don't know how much detail you want me to get into, but if you wanted, I'd be happy to give you like the full shebang uh, of of what we do. Um, but that's, that's, up, that's up to you. I think more sort of like um, sort of uh, I wouldn't go too deep, but sort of to, mm. you know, a general picture. It, it, probably be the, the depth that we're looking for really. So a non-diver okay. can understand it. Yeah. The main yeah. thing. Yeah. Sure, sure, sure. Okay. So we all know in scuba diving, the most important thing is having good neutral buoyancy, right? It's something yeah. I tell my students uh, <laughs> continuously throughout any class that I teach, especially beginning open water. And of the three roles that a diver can have, the one that has the most interaction, I guess, with the subjects would be something called the, would the role be called safety diver? Okay. Um, and which is the second role that you learn um, as a diver when you join the neutral buoyancy laboratory. Um, now, during, uh, during the run, uh, the safety divers are, like the name says, responsible for the subject safety. So they're primary or their sort of designated job is to help the subjects get out of the water in case of an emergency. Now, it sounds kind of scary, but an emergency egress doesn't necessarily facilitate an actual like a sort of life-threatening or dangerous kind of emergency. So for example, when they're in the suit, they have that they're a DID bead, they're a disposable in-suit drink bag, right? So it's just water, right? But it's in this little uh, floppy bag in the front of the suit. Um, and they have to be able to reach the mouthpiece to, to take- Do they not sneak some the genie or anything like that? Well, the, if the only people who could probably do that would be the suit technicians because they're <laughs> the ones who are filling the actual bags. Uh, so maybe if you like gave the suit tech a little like wink, wink, uh, they might fill it with something <laughs> other than water. Close things up a little bit. Yeah. Um, but um, so for example, so if, the, if they couldn't reach that little nozzle, that would be an emergency egress, even though right. it's not like an emergency. So that's the safety diver's primary job is to help the subject get out of the water in case of emergency. Now, emergency egresses are few and far between, thankfully, right? So what do we do most of the time, right? So a safety diver's job starts once the subjects are in the water uh, and they help get the astronauts off of the donning stand, which is the apparatus that they're attached to that are, they're craned in with, mm -hmm. right? Um, when we get them off, we do what's called a preliminary way out, right? So like I said, good neutral buoyancy, hand sign for hover, good neutral buoyancy is uh, a key, right? So we do the way out in stages. Um, so the first stage is when they come off the donning stand um, we make sure it's not completely like like cattywampus right so completely just off kilter um, if they're super super heavy we'll take weight off um, if they're not heavy enough we'll put weight on but basically the goal of the preliminary way out is to get so that one person because there are two safety divers per subject that one person can um, handle the subject uh, with ascents and descents by themselves if necessary mm -hmm. just quick um, can i ask you just a quick question yeah just of course uh, yeah what sort of weight would they be having on, just out of interest? 
Yeah, okay, so it does depend on the subject. Uh, keep in mind that to do a proper weigh out, um, it's usually a combination of weight and or foam. Um, and the subjects who fill out the suits the most uh, will need foam. Um, some of them almost exclusively. Uh, so the amount of weight that the subject wear, uh, wears actually varies enormously from person to person, right? Mm. Um, because you have guys and, and women, but mainly guys like the, you know, the bigger guys who fill out the suit so well that there's so little air in between their body and the suit that mm. they are all, they're foam to the hilt. Okay. So they have a foam, you know, their, um, dig their the digital control module, right? They have their foam uh, module, foam mock-up of that. Then they have a huge foam like block that goes in front of it. Foam, foam blocks in, in the back, um, foam all out in the back uh, pouches as well. And then the only weight that they have is in the legs. And that can be as little as like, depending on the subject, like nine pounds in one leg and maybe like 12 pounds in another leg, which is not mm -hmm. a lot at all. But then yeah. you have like tiny little women who are in the suit and they have weight everywhere, right? They're wearing like a, like a DCM pack instead of having one that's like positive seven pounds buoyancy, it's like negative 22 pounds right so it's like and then they have i know and then they have weight on top of that and then they have like 20 pounds in one leg and like 25 pounds in another leg so the amount of weight a subject wears like i said varies immensely from person to person you're trying to move it all that on well okay so on land it would be impossible right the suit itself weighs like close to 300 pounds right Right. Um, in the water, yes, uh, you do feel it. So that kind of gets me to like the second part of like a safety diver's job, right? So we do the preliminary way out. Once that looks good, we go to the descent line and the subjects drop down to the descent line, just like you would in an open water class, right? When you have to do for dive for one and two. Um, so the subjects, and then we do our, the primary way out, right? And this can take up to 10 to 15 minutes. Um, and what we do is we put the subject in different positions. So for example, vertical, uh, inverted, um, you know, horizontal on their, on their uh, stomach, horizontal on their back, um, mm -hmm. 45 degree angles, um, and then on their sides as well, right? Uh, and what we try, the goal is to try to get them as neutral as possible. Um, in whatever position that they want to be in. So we shift the weight around, we shift the foam around um, to in the different spots so that they can hold ideally whatever position that they want to be in. You can adjust uh, these weights while they're under the water, can you? Yeah, that's what we're doing. That takes about 10 to 15 minutes. And then throughout the run, um, we're constantly tweaking it as necessary because, you know, as they shift in the suit, the air that's in the suit, just like a dry suit, right, would move from different parts of the suit to the feet, to the chest, to the arms, whatever. So the weight in the foam has to be adjusted uh, throughout mm -hmm. the run. So we do our preliminary way out, we do our main way out, and then we'd like tweak it uh, throughout the run. So and could they actually go up by their feet? Because yeah. that's 12 meters deep. Oh, you mean could they actually like go all the way from the bottom to the surface, like yeah. In inverted? Yeah. Only if the safety divers were asleep at the wheel. <laughs> I mean, of course it's possible. Um, if because yeah. throughout the throughout the run, the subjects become actually um, more buoyant. Um, so foam will have to be removed or weight will have to be added as the six hour run goes. It, it's always that case, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're not on top of it, um, sorry, am I, can you hear my dogs? Like, are they really loud? Oh, okay. Uh, so, um, so they, if you're not on top of it, um, because weight needs to be added throughout the run that, yeah, your subject could float, uh, yeah. no one's ever had it float all the way to the surface, but yeah. 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 God, it's quite involved then, isn't it? It's just a, 
Yeah, yeah. And then in addition to the way out, like uh, Mike Fink said, um, we constantly have hands on the subject to help them. Ian, you asked earlier, like, is it difficult to move with all that weight? And I said, yes, at the surface. But I was myself just recently in the suit, right? And uh, yes, it is your legs in particular. Um, it is very difficult to get your legs up to a horizontal position from when you're vertical. Um, and uh, there were definitely times when I needed to ask the divers for assistance, just like almost all of the astronauts will ask the divers for assistance at certain points, getting their, their feet up, um, because that's hard to do. It's, it's a lot of weight and it's hard to do. Yeah. So is that the first time you've actually been in a suit? Yes, that's the first time. I've been at the MBL for almost exactly two years. I just hit my two years just a few days ago. Um, but yeah, I was in the suit on October 9th. My anniversary was October 15th. So just a few days before my two-year anniversary, uh, I was in the suit. Yeah. Brilliant. So do they let everybody have a go in the suit? So you, as you as a diver, you know what it's like to experience? Mm -hmm. Yes. And that's, idea. Yeah. And that's really one of the one of the advantages is knowing what it's like. It provided you can fit in the suit, you can be in the suit. <laughs> <laughs> not everyone fits not everyone fits so i was lucky enough to be able to fit in the suit so yes i got to i got to do it yeah. Yeah. so um i was thinking of you know within the whole the whole mechanics and, and moving it it's really you know quite hard and um you know it must take a bit of planning you have to plan what's what steps what what people are going to do and you yeah, so every uh, suited run that we do, there is a dive brief um, at the beginning of the run, right? So everyone is there from all of the diver positions, the test conductor, the test director, and it's really the test conductor that, who is sort of running the briefing and briefing everyone on what is happening, where the subjects are going, what they're doing, what tools are required, uh, and all of that, right? So you have all the diver positions there, medical is there, suit engineers are there, tool engineers are there, um, and basically it's choreographed right um yeah certain certain test conductors um go into more detail than others right um but yeah the whole thing is choreographed um from you know start to finish so that everyone's on the same page everyone knows where they're going everyone knows what they're what they're going to do um now a lot of these runs that we see multiple times um so uh you know the briefing you know the divers we as divers already know what's going to happen um when it's sort of not a development run right uh but on the dev runs for sure when it's like the first time we're doing something uh yeah it has to be sort of very carefully choreographed so that we can maximize our efficiency in the, in the water right and, sort and of are you in like the water a, all that time those six hours okay so the diver positions are actually the subjects are yes so um the diver positions are broken up into three shifts um so we call them teams first team second team third team um so the people who do first team are generally the same people who do third team so first and third are the same people uh and then second team it's its own shift um so if you're diving first and third yeah you're in the water for four hours because each shift is two hours but you, uh, will you be actually under all that time Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. The only time you would ever come to the surface is if you needed to change up for your tanks. Yeah. Right, yeah. And occasionally you do, depending on how hard you're working. Because you've got twin sets on, haven't you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we're using twin 80 cubic foot cylinders um, filled with nitrox, 46% uh, oxygen, uh, which is great. Uh, it's exactly <laughs> a partial pressure of one atmosphere of oxygen. 
uh, when you were down at 40 feet, right? Yeah. Um, which I'm sure is not an accident. Um, so, you know, well within, you know, within the, you know, 1.4 normal tolerance of partial pressure. And uh, yeah, it's great. You feel great after the dive. Um, we do it because the subjects, of course, are in for six continuous hours, right? Yeah. So if they were diving anything less than that, uh, percentage of oxygen wise, they wouldn't be able to do a six hour run without going into deco, right? I've got to ask the obvious. What about loo break? Six oh, hours. A long yeah. time. Being yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So the I'm surprised Mike didn't mention this, but maybe he didn't. <laughs> I did listen to I did listen to his his cast. So in the in the suit, um, the first layer that you put on because you have layers underneath, but the first layer you put on is something called your mag. It stands for maximum absorbency garment. And if you're nice. thinking that sounds like an adult diaper, uh, you're 100% right. <laughs> um, recently, we just graduated to the pull-up kind since we're all big boys and girls now. Um, so that's nice. It's an elasticated around the waist. Yeah, it's like, oh, picture, like, picture like a pull-up diaper that a child would wear, but now on an adult. <laughs> so it's not like the old Formula One drivers then. When they had to go mid-race, mid they would just do it in the car. Uh, yeah, no. So we, I mean, pit, you're guys. essentially doing it in the suit, but you have something to keep it all contained. <laughs> they, they used to say, the drivers used to say to the pit engineers, sorry, couldn't wait. And that'd be their yeah. job to clear it. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. I mean, somebody's going to do it, I guess. Yeah. They got a race, race to win. So yeah. Let's backtrack a little bit. Let's talk a bit about your, you know, scuba diving. Yeah. Um, you know, because you've been diving, what, 13 years? Yeah. Um, 14, so how, did you, how do you actually get into diving? What got you into it? So um, I learned to swim. I learned to swim when I was three, um, and I was on swim team. Uh, I did summer league. I did USS American USS swimming, and I did high school swimming uh, from when I was eight years old to seventeen years old. Right. So for nine years, um, I've always, always, always loved the water. I've always been a water guy, um, and diving is something that I wanted to do for years prior to actually getting certified. Um, but in 2006, um, I got a nice severance um, package from a, uh, from a job um, uh, when, I, you know, when I left. And uh, I had a little bit of extra time and a little bit of extra money. Uh, and I was like, this is the perfect time. This is the perfect time. It was like spring of 2006. I was living in LA at the time. And uh, for those, for, if you don't know, or for anyone listening who doesn't know, the diving in Southern California or up, up really like the whole West Coast of the US is great. Right. Um, in Southern California in particular, we have a beautiful, beautiful kelp forest. Um, <laughs> and if you've never dived in the kelp forest, I recommend it to everyone. I mean, it's literally like flying through like a forest of redwoods. Right. It's it's incredible. And anyway, so I had some extra time, had some extra money and I found a dive shop that was close to me. Eco Dive Center in Culver City. Shout out. Um, and um, I did all of my training there. Um, I started open water diver with nothing um, and then went through OWSI with Patty. Um, and you know, the weird thing is I never wanted to teach anything. I never thought I would want to teach anything uh, until I got certified as a diver. And literally the first pool and fine water session I had, I was like, I'm going to teach this. I'm going to teach Ooh. this. I'm instantly in love with it. It's exactly what I always, how I always pictured it, even better. Mm. And um, yeah, so that was 2006. And then I was an instructor by 2007 
like I, mm-hmm. I, almost a year later exactly yeah it's very from, quick <laughs> from zero yeah going from zero to and i took a three-month break because um i was up i worked on a cruise ship up in alaska for for a summer um july august september of uh of that year so there was three months that i i wasn't um doing it so really i started uh you know my advanced swim water class and i was an instructor nine months later yeah well that's yeah. real achievement <laughs> yeah 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 because yes. i was working full-time at the dive shop too so all i would do is you know uh, dive uh, on the weekends like, yeah live yeah. and breathe it mm-hmm. yeah. yeah yeah exactly yeah that's good yeah. so you ended up working at jack's dive locker that's right yes i did yeah how did your journey take you there um so so it's kind of a okay so in california uh i one of my dive jobs i had was working for a dive boat called the peace uh the peace boat it's uh, out of ventura harbor and um i met a guy there whose name is dave fink he was a captain and he was this like imagine like a like a live action huh oh to mike fink to mike fink no, yeah. no, no, no relation at all. But imagine like a, a live action like version of Yosemite Sam with the mustache and like the whistle when he talks and everything like that. And like you have a think. Anyway, he told me about a job that he had in Hawaii as a captain. But like at the time, I didn't really, you know, I was like, I wasn't planning on moving there. So I didn't, you know, uh, pay attention. Flash forward years later, I'm living in Japan. Uh, I really want to get back into teaching diving. And I was like, I've always wanted to live somewhere tropical and dive every day. So, you know, as an American citizen, I was like, well, it's easiest if I just apply to Hawaii because I don't need a visa. Um, so I sent my resume to every paddy dive shop in Hawaii. <laughs> like I used the paddy website and found the, uh, every single one. And the first shop to respond to me, the very first one was Jack's Diving Locker. And not only were they the first one to respond, but they were also the one to give me the most definitive time frame. Now, keep in mind, I'm living in Japan, right? So all the other dive shops were like, yeah, if you make it out here, then maybe we can set up an interview possibly and see how it goes. Jack was like, hey, can you start in May? (laughs) And I was like, you know what? Yes, yes, I can. I can. So, um, yeah, so I came out there for an interview. We're in the boat, had a, had a boat day where I got to meet people and they got to meet me and it's like see their procedures and everything like that. But one of the things that attracted Jax to me was I used Dave Fink as a reference. And it was just coincidental that I used him because I, I had other people as well, but I really liked him. We got along. And then when the owners of Jax saw his name on my resume, there was like ding, 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 you know, they called him actually to check, to check on that. And he gave me a glowing recommendation. So, you know, having that connection uh, in California for a dive shop in Hawaii was just some serendipitous, you know, happy circumstance. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's how, that's how I ended up at Jack's. Awesome. Yeah. 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 So how long were you there for? Um, for over five years. Um, and not only, not only over five years in my like original time frame. So I moved there in 2009, uh, and then I moved to Texas in 2014, but I came back to Jack's, uh, to teach, uh, for two summers. Um, so once in 2015 and then once again in 2018. So yeah, if you add up my entire time, um, five and a half, six years all together. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It must be an amazing place to dive as well. Yeah, and honestly, it's like Hawaii is an amazing place, and 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 those people at Jack's Diving Locker, like Keller Laros, and the owners Jeff and Terry Leisher, and their son Kavika, they they're they're my family. Like they're yeah. really my you know 
know, my Hanai family. Nice. Yeah. Good to hear. And um, mm -hmm. Keller, he was, um, he was a great guest, uh, good fun. Yeah. And, uh, very passionate about, you know, what he does. Mm -hmm. Mantis Civic uh, Research Foundation. Yeah, really good. Yeah, really yeah. good. He actually mm -hmm. said to us to uh, say to you or ask you, what did the fish say when it swam into the concrete wall? Damn. Yeah, he has he has a repertoire of jokes, and uh, he does add to it occasionally. But he has his like standbys that we all he just drops them in that we all know and love. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, if you had a best dive ever anywhere around the world, ooh, okay. So I saw that on your list of questions, and I've been thinking about it. And honestly, I don't know if I can. I don't know if I can pick a single dive. Um, there, I've had many amazing dives, and the ones that I'm thinking of are all amazing for like for different reasons, you know. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if if I had to, if I had to pick, if I had to pick, uh, let's say let's say two. Okay, the first one is going to be my first ever dive. Right, because I feel like that one set the tone and sort of cemented uh, my love of it, and I will always, always remember it. I was in, I was in Catalina Island, so uh, off the coast of Southern California. For those of you who don't know, there are a bunch of Channel Islands. Eight, we call them the Channel Islands, right? And there's four in the north, and then sort of a group of class four or so in the south. Catalina is the main one. Uh, there's like a semi-permanent uh, town there called uh, Avalon. And another one called uh, Twin Harbors. Anyway, there's a dive park in Avalon called Casino Point. And um, you can just go and do, it's a shore entry, right? You can just go. It's cordoned off for divers. There's no boat traffic or anything like that. And it's a protected area as well. So it's a marine sanctuary. Um, and that was like my first dive ever. I had one instructor. There were eight students, right? So right at the top of like ratios, right? And, um, you know, at, at one point, I'm not going to say anything to get him into trouble. It was, he was a great instructor. Um, but, uh, you know, at one point or another, I found myself just sort of like looking at like a, I don't know what it was, just a sea urchin or something, like just crawling along the bottom and then just finding myself so entranced and so mesmerized by the aquatic environment that I had never uh, seen before, right? Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, that will always stand out in, in, in my mind. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's good. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank so you. What, what advice do you have for um, anyone who's thinking about starting the scuba journey? What, what advice would you have for, for them? Ooh, Ooh. that's a good question. Um, uh, I would first say, okay, so I feel like they're like water people and like not water people, you know what I mean? <laughs> and maybe that's like, maybe that's like simplifying it. So for, for the people who are water people, you know, my my biggest piece of advice was like is not really advice but just like you're gonna love it you're gonna you're gonna love it right um and you're gonna fall in love with it and i guess okay so i did have if i did have a piece of advice it would be that start thinking and budgeting for getting your own personal equipment as soon as possible right? Not, not stuff beyond just masks, snorkel, and fins. I'm talking about dive computer reg, BC, SMB, you know, the works, right? Mm -hmm. um, because 
you're going to love it so, so, so much more when you are diving with your own stuff and you don't have to rent and you know how it works and it fits you and you like it. And it's like, so yeah, for the people who are like water people, get your gear, start budgeting for your gear as soon as possible, even like during your open water course, if you can afford it. Right. And you can acquire it like bit by bit. Right. For the people who are not water people, right? Because I've seen lots and lots of students over the years who came into the class nervous, right? And maybe it's because someone in their family was signed them up or they were just trying to overcome a fear, but like they just, they didn't really want to be there, right? But they were going to give it the old, you know, college try. My biggest advice for those people would be do a discover scuba diving first before you commit to an open water class just to see if you like it, right? You don't want to have to drop out of the class and then pay all that money and then like schedule your time and then have it like not work for you, right? So my biggest piece of advice would be do a DSD, doesn't matter where, just do a DSD, maybe multiple if you need to, just to get your feet wet, you know, just to see if this is something that works for you. Um, And then go from there. You know, if it, if it's, if it goes great, immediately sign up for your open water class, right? Because that momentum is, is awesome. And if it doesn't, you know, now, you know, you know, it's not for you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And there are people out there that will say, no, no, can't do that. But probably, you know, if they just like leave their feet wet, they might suddenly have a revelation and think, well, yeah. Gemma, I completely agree. It's entirely possible to have some sort of epiphany, like scuba epiphany and be like, oh no, no, this is way better than I thought it was going to be. Uh, Yeah. 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 So I think that would be my biggest piece of advice. So just a little interval from this episode, Ian and I work hard to bring guests and content across our podcast platforms, social media, and our YouTube channel, The Big Scuba. Would you like to become involved? Become a supporter, a sponsor, a Patreon of The Big Scuba. There are several levels of contribution, the smallest being just $2. If you'd like to become a patron of The Big Scuba podcast, please go to www.patreon.com forward slash The Big Scuba podcast. There you will see the levels of support. You can be an octopus, a dolphin, an orca or a mighty blue whale. Just for the $2, you'll receive a shout out on our next episode. We look forward to welcoming you to the Big Scuba podcast community. Right, back to the episode. Yeah. Do you miss the teaching world? Um, well, I've never left it. Uh, so <laughs> so um, I, uh, this dive shop that I worked for before getting the job at the Neutral Points Laboratory, um, Sugarland Dive Center, shout out Sugarland Dive Center, um, uh, I still teach for them. Actually, I I taught for them the last two weekends. I had a lake session last weekend. And then the weekend before that, I had my confined water and my academics. So, um, yeah, so I I don't have to miss it because I've never never left it. Yeah. Yeah. That's good that you're doing that, though. You're still working for NASA and also you're you're still involved with teaching new divers. I think Mm -hmm. that's a really good mix. Uh, yeah, and it's it's nice because because I don't teach very often. Like I maybe do like a class every month or month and a half, right? Um, yeah. It's just everything. It always feels fresh, you know. Yeah. And like I did open water class the last two weekends, but the week that ta- class I taught before that was actually a rec specialty, a uh, local rec specialty. So you know, uh, I'm teaching. You know, my teaching runs the gamut from you know beginners to more advanced stuff. 
Yeah. And it helps keep your own skills up to date, your own, and, and keep them up to date with what's coming out of Paddy and mm-hmm. uh, all those sort of updates and what's going on with news and things. And yeah. you know, um, yeah. so that's, yeah. that's brilliant. Um, so looking into your uh, earlier diving history, yeah. so you spent some time um, helping out BBC uh, Animal Planet and National, yeah. uh, National Geographic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we had, um, so we have these film crews come in uh, to, at, this is when I was working at Jack's Diving Locker, right? Um, and there are the, 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 the BBC probably, if I'm remembering correctly, I think that was probably, I don't, I don't think I was involved in that one. They came to do a shoot, but I don't think I was actually helping uh, on that one. Um, the Animal Planet though one and the National Geographic one, yes. Um, so we had a guy come in, his, uh, his name is Jeff Corwin. I don't know if that rings any bells, uh, for you, but he had a show, uh, years and years ago when I was in college, um, on animal planet, um, where he would just, you know, he would go out, he's a biologist and would go out and, you know, mess, you know, interact with animals and things, but he did another show, um, in like a sort of, uh, creature focused show uh and he was filming uh this episode was about manta rays actually um so i got to be i I had kind of like he was i really liked him and my my boss was like yeah you want to be on the boat that day and i was like yeah i want to be jeff corwin like he's awesome i love this show (laughs) so um so i got to be uh in the water now they had their own film crew um, so I didn't really get to, uh, you know, I wasn't part of the, the filming, but I was down there, I was helping place lights and things like that. Right. And I got to see them film. And of course this is at night doing the, the Manta night dive as well. So, um, I've done that dive, you know, hundreds of times, you know, working at Jack's right. But it's never, um, boring, you know, it's never boring. It's always amazing because the mantas are amazing. Right. Yeah, and the environment yeah. in which you're looking at them is amazing. I'm sure Keller talked about mantas ad nauseum. We're waiting for Keller to name one after the big scuba. That's what we're waiting for. Well, he's a very we're, we're possible. Another one, a new one to be seen. Ian Ray or Gemma Ray. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Big scuba Ray. Yeah. So, so that, so that was great. It was great meeting Jeff Corwin. Um, it was great being like able to help with that shoot. And then the, the National Geographic one, uh, was very very cool they had this light that they had i don't know if they had made it or uh they had just they were like using it but it was this they called it an aqua sun um this thing was like the size of a beach ball right completely spherical and around it of course were like different light heads right so it shined light in of course every direction because it was a sphere mm-hmm. um and it was so bright so the area where we normally do this is also at night the area where we normally do the manta night dive um is um i don't know it, it, it's probably like it, i don't know the size of uh maybe like 200 yards you know in one direction like 100 yards in another direction it's quite a lot of area right mm-hmm. um and this light whatever whatever bright it was it lit the entire thing right the water looking at it from the surface it was turquoise like it, the water was the color it would be like in daytime Right. And um, what they were shooting was they were shooting like uh, deep um, pelagic animals. Right. Now, they were only at like 80 feet or so. Right. Um, So they were, you know, like, um, 
you know, sort of not faking the shots, but you know what I mean, like getting some stock footage and things like that. Um, but to see this thing in the water was amazing. And I did get to actually physically get my hands on some cables. So as the cameramen were filming and whatever, I got to be cable wrangler um, for, for that, <laughs> which, is, which is kind of cool because it kind of prepared me for my job at the MBL because one of the yeah. diver positions is cameraman. So <laughs> and we have to wrangle camera cables, you know, uh, for my job uh, now. So yeah, that's good so, yeah. experience. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. A little bit of good experience for that, for wrangling yeah. cables. Yeah. <laughs> and is it right you've been a model for Paddy as well? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when I was home, uh, when I say home, I mean Hawaii, because that's where I consider home. So when I was home in 2018, um, Patty was doing a, uh, a film shoot for... Uh, their reactivate program, you know, so the reactivate for people who haven't been diving in a while, um, they come in, do a little bit of academics and then do some skills with an instructor. Uh, and then they get it, you know, logged and they get like a little a notation, like, uh, you know, thing that they have done reactivate as well as in their logbook. Anyway, so they were doing a promo for that, um, a marketing campaign for that. Uh, and they hired this lovely woman and her sister, Kimmy Warner. She's an Instagram influencer. She's a free diving, uh, you know, extraordinaire. Right. Um, and uh, her and her sister. So Kimmy was, you know, the talent. Her sister, you know, came along and the shoot was I did a pool session with them just like I would on a normal reactivate. I did the and I did the whole shebang like we didn't, you know, fake anything like I, I went literally with them from this is a scuba cylinder to you know, doing giant strides and doing their skills underwater and stuff like that. Um, and uh, it's on Patty's um, YouTube channel. Uh, as well. Um, so it's on Patty's YouTube channel uh, that you can watch it. Um, but yeah, so to reactivate. Uh, and then we went out on the boat. Um, so we went on the boat. Uh, we had two days uh, on the boat. And um, we brought like DPVs, you know, uh, got to use, went in some caves. Um, and uh, we saw tiger sharks, we saw dolphins, we saw mantas, we saw eagle rays. Like those ladies oh. had an amazing like two days um on the boat uh, but yeah so if you if you check out um and then kimmy was very kind enough to actually talk about me uh you know in the marketing campaign as well um she had mentioned that she you know how much i like my job which she's right i do um and uh you know she thought she said i was meant to be an instructor which i i like that also um but yeah you can check that out on, on patty's youtube channel um but yeah basically we'll the, the marketing yeah. for 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 their reactivate which is a great thing Mm, yeah, no, it was good to be involved in something like that. So. Mm -hmm. That was super fun. It was super fun. Yeah, yeah. I liked it. I, I, was, I was very lucky to, to get to do something like that. So your um, instructor training and uh, how you are with your students and all that, do you find that helpful when you uh, transfer over into the NBL, when you, your other job? Can you do you find that those skills that you learn as a teacher help? Yes. Uh, actually, absolutely. Um, not so much in like the, the interaction part of it, but in the paying attention part of it. Um, when you first start training in the MBL, uh, it feels oh, like as a safety diver, I mean, even as a float diver, actually, the camera dive position, it feels overwhelming because you have a lot of uh, things you have to pay attention to, right? Um, you have to pay attention to the subject's buoyancy, um, their spatial awareness because it's very easy. Um, so they, they have their helmet bubble protecting their, mm -hmm. their visor, right? Um, and because of that fishbowl effect, it distorts, uh, you know, how things look underwater. So things look farther away than they actually are. So it's not difficult for them to accidentally hit 
their face shield like into things, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then also, of course, they get caught on things because they have all of these dangling Could things. Could they not have a layer gravity. or something like that for the, they, yeah, you know, on their visor to um, compensate for that? Could they not have what? Like a layer on the uh, visor. So when well, they're out in the water to compensate for that? Well, there is. I mean, it's there's there's the inner layer which is the bubble, and then there's the outer layer, the protective the protective shields, right? So if they hit if they hit something, they're hitting the protective shield. They're not hitting like the glass layer, mm. right? They're hitting like the acrylic layer, right? But still, that's not something that you want to happen, right? No. Um, and you know, so there's that. There's the um, there's their buoyancy. There's get them getting tangled on things. And then, then of course, on top of all of that, there's their umbilical cable. So unlike, you know, on an actual, uh, you know, real spacewalk, um, their breathing gas, their water for cooling, power for the suit, it's all brought. And then like um, power for the camera and audio, it's all brought via an umbilical cable that's attached to the subject. And that is its own tangling hazard, right? And that also has to be weighed out. So you have to pay attention to the buoyancy of the umbilical, the tangling of the umbilical, the tangling of the subject's tethers, getting caught on structure, hitting structure, and their buoyancy all at the same time, right? And then on top of that, if they're holding anything that's not neutrally buoyant, um, which most of it isn't, so something that's heavy or something that's light, you also have to pay attention to that. And like, is that snagging on something? Is it acting flight-like, you know, on top of, on top of everything else? So as an instructor, you have to pay attention to your student's buoyancy. Like, okay, who's sinking? Who's floating? Where are they? What does their kick look like? Okay, this one's doing skills right now. Are you guys still okay? That sort of thing, right? So your, mm. your attention is split in multiple people, especially the more students you have, the more attention, you, you yeah. know, the more your attention is split. So yes, like that aspect of being an instructor absolutely played a role in like my training because I'm very used to having my what, attention um, divided like 10 different ways. What qualifications did they ask for? You know, when they when you first applied, what mm-hmm. sort of qualifications were they looking for um, to become a diver in the pool? Okay, so if you read the job description, the qualifications are very minimal. Um, it's you have to be open water certified with twenty five log dives and a high school diploma. Okay, but really? here's the thing. Here's the thing. If someone applied and those were their only qualifications, they they wouldn't even look at their resume, right? Mm-hmm. Because Yes, those are according to the, the minimum requirements for job description, but no person who ever met those minimum requirements would ever get hired, right? Um, we, we interviewed on the last round of interviews, we were interviewing like a lieutenant colonel with like a PhD in like microbiology, you know what I mean? Who was like a former helicopter pilot. Like that's like the caliber of like people that interview at the MBL and like get callbacks and things like that. You know, I recommended a, a friend for our last round of hiring who is a former Navy, you know, like special warfare firefighter paramedic boat captain like u.s coast guard boat captain with his 100 ton license um a dive master for like for years as well like that's who we're like you know yeah so they look for they love former military um so former military like goes to the top of the pile like always right um after that they look for like they love commercial divers they love people with like fabricating fabricating experience like welders fabricators carpenters like they love people who are like very like savvy uh, right? 
Uh, and then of course they love like scientific divers as well. So people with like marine biology or other like aquatic scientific degrees uh, they like. And then yeah. the very bottom of the pile. So like, like the four militaries up here at the very bottom, they have people with like scuba experience. And that's where I came in. What about gardeners <laughs> with um, a gardener straight dive masters? Gardeners? Gardeners straight dive masters, yeah. Oh, um, Sure. Where are they? Where are they? Yeah, sure. I don't. I, I don't know. They might be. Yeah. So yeah. So yeah. That's 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 sort of what they what they look for. They like well-rounded people, mechanically uh, oriented people, uh, especially like you know former military as well. Yeah. Uh, oh well, that's good to know for any of our listeners if they see yeah. a job advertised at the MBL. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, do you have different projects you work on through a course of a period or have you got anything in particular you're working on at the moment that you can tell us about? Um, well, I think I can tell, I can tell you about the lunar stuff that's happening right now because NASA has put out, um, uh, they've put out their marketing for it as well. Like recently we had astronaut Zena Cardman in the suit, um, testing the new XEMU suit. They've already had a press conference on that. So I don't think there's anything, um, that I can't say that I, they can't reveal. And while she was um, diving uh, on the suit that day, she actually did like a live uh, telecast um, about, uh, you know, lunar ops and the Artemis missions coming up and everything like that, right? So in addition to doing the, the ISS uh, EVA training as well, we're also gearing up to try to have that MBL be like the go, one of the go-to spots for lunar ops training um, for the upcoming Artemis missions, right? Yeah. So, you know, so there are multiple uh, sort of um, projects, so to speak, uh, multiple yeah. focuses like happening uh, at the at the MBL, right? There's also something happening that I can't talk about, but just goes to say that there's another something that's happening uh, yeah. uh, as well. Right? Well, that's great. So does SpaceX train there? Yeah, yeah. So the yeah. commercial crew, um, so, you know, Bob Benke and I can't remember the other, uh, the other astronaut for the, um, the, the demo crew, right? But um, uh, Mike Hopkins and Victor Glover, uh, yeah. who are part of the crew one, um, who are going up. Uh, I, right now, we just had a briefing about it. I think it's going to be like mid-November right now. I had to get pushed back. Um, yeah, the SpaceX crew, the Boeing crew, NASA crew, they all train. We'll train the, MBL. the MBL is it. The MBL is it, right? So if you're, if you're an astronaut who's going up to the ISS, and this, that, that's where you go, right? So yes, absolutely, they do. Yeah, it must good. be amazing to meet them all as well. Yeah. It is. It is, um, honestly. And, um, you know, it, it's funny because... You know, you meet you meet these astronauts, and it's like, ooh, they're an astronaut. And it, it, yes, it's an amazing <laughs> it's an amazing thing to to be. But like, and I mean this in the best possible way. Like, we're all just people, right? Exactly. Right. We're we're all just we're all just people. That's like, good. I like that. I've I've gone out for like for for drinks with astronauts, like after work. You know what I mean? Or like they come to work. We host like work parties and things like that, right? So it's like a work function. But like you know, you see like someone who you just you know an astronaut who's in the suit, and it's like, oh, they're at the Christmas party kind of a thing <laughs> yeah so but yeah so yes it, it, it's very great um but like even even better than like meeting an astronaut is just casually hanging out with someone who happens to be an astronaut yeah yeah pretty cool yeah it's pretty cool yeah, yeah. it's a, definitely a definitely a, a perk
yeah i'd say so um i think one of the things we have i don't think we have asked is yourself are you in a wetsuit Mm. Um, yes, yes, for the most part, uh, almost almost all, all the dives. Um, so the pool is heated to yeah. uh, 86 degrees Fahrenheit, um, and it is, um, at least that's what they tell us it is. Uh, sometimes it doesn't feel like that, and temperature does fluctuate a little bit depending on what's going on with the pumps. Um, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm to the point where I... I can't be in the water that long without wearing a wetsuit, like at that temperature, right? Even though that's very high, like I just, I need to wear something. So mm-hmm. usually I'm wearing like a three mil, uh, you know, full suit, you know, from ankles to wrists. Uh, if it's going to be a dive where I know I'm not going to be moving around a lot, I also have a four, three that I put on as well, not over top, but like, in, you know, instead of my three, two. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm absolutely wearing a, wearing yeah. a wetsuit, but not everyone well, is. Some people driving just t-shirts and shorts and board shorts, right? Yeah, so it just depends the, on the, it just depends on the person. Well, water is well known for actually absorbing the heat, body heat, isn't it? So mm-hmm. you can actually, um, you know, that can, you can lose a lot of body heat being yeah. in the water a long time, even when yeah. it's heat. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely yeah. you can. Yeah. But yeah, but some people are just diving in t-shirts and shorts. So, you know, I'm kind of wimpy uh, when it comes to that, but not everyone is. Well, it's always nice to be warm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So recreational diving, have you got any preference on the type of diving, whether it's wrecks or reefs or? Uh, I do have a preference in the fact that I love interesting topography. You know, I think that's why Hawaii was so up my alley because the islands being volcanically formed, right? And geologically speaking, fairly recently volcanically formed on the big island in particular, um, you have all sorts of like swim throughs and and caverns and and lava tubes and arches and canyons and drop offs and like the underwater topography there is very striking. Um, And the more sort of outlandish it is, the more I like it. Yeah. Uh, because it just drives home the fact that, you know, you can explore it in whatever axis you want, right? You know, X, Y, and Z axes. And um, it just makes me feel like I'm flying underwater, right? So, yeah. So, I know interesting topography gets me every time. And that sort of tangentially relates to man-made structures as well. So, um, you know, the one penetrable wreck I did was in, in Cozumel, which, by the way, if anyone's listening who hasn't been diving in Cozumel, go dive Cozumel. Cozumel is amazing. Um, but, um, you know, it was this beautiful wreck that they had uh, t- punched out holes in the side of to make it, you know, safer for people to penetrate because you, there's lots and lots of the exit points like everywhere throughout it. Um, but once again, like being able to explore a structure that you wouldn't normally be able to explore on every access um, just makes it feel like flying, which is one of the things I like most about diving. It's like, I feel like I'm flying. And yeah. also one of the things I love about my job, because you have man-made structure, a mock-up of man-made structure, the ISS, in the pool, right? Mm-hmm. And to be able to explore all of that and work on all of that as well, also triggers my flying love, right? Like the, the thing that I love about diving so much. So yeah, so interesting topography gets me, like all any time. So do you think you're an astronaut when you're like flying over all the... Yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Sometimes, sometimes, oh, it's going to sound, this is going to be embarrassing, but sometimes if I'm on a dive and the topography is is quite good, let's say, for example, like I'm like swimming along and then the bottom just drops out, right? So like it's down like 100 feet down, right? I'll like go over and like put my arms out to the side, (laughs) like I'm an airplane. (laughs) 
so yeah, that's a little embarrassing. That's a little bit TMI probably, I but yeah, I, do, I, I have done that do from time to time. We all do it. It's fine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's brilliant. Well, thank you very much. Um, that's kind of the end of the, those sort of questions. So yeah, sure. we've got our sort of set questions. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, bring them up. Um, so we'll, we'll crack on with them. So what is your, have you got um, uh, a dive location is on your bucket list? Where's your going to be your next place to go? Okay. Well, I don't know if it'll be my next place to go, but yes, I definitely have uh, some locations. I think probably right now I'd love to go to the, to the Philippines. Yeah. I'd love to go to the Philippines, um, Dumaguete or Tubataha um, to see there are some, there are some critters there. Um, that I, uh, I have more like critters on my list rather than like locations. You know what I mean? Yeah. I want to see some, I want to see some male ribbon eels. I want to see some Mandarin fish. Yeah. Uh, I want to see some like mimic octopus or like wonder puss, you know what oh, I mean? What? Um, I want to see some of the more like interesting, like, um, the nudibranchs out there. Um, but yeah, so it's like, and I know like in places like that, where there's like muck diving, like there's wonder puss, there's, I want to see some peacock mantis shrimp, you know? Yeah. Um, cause I think they're just fascinating. So yeah, I think, so the Philippines, I think was probably at the moment, like top of my, yeah. top of my list. Yeah. Yeah, no, that sounds like fun. Yeah. Um, if you could take three people diving or snorkeling or even in a submersible, they can be past, okay. present. Who would you choose to take and why? Okay, so it's probably obvious, but the first one, Jacques Cousteau, right? Because I would just be like, I'm an, I'm an open book here. You know, just lay whatever knowledge you have. Just, just, just lay it on me. You know what? You just, you guide this dive. I'm just going to follow you along like a little puppy. And you can just teach me about, just teach me about the ocean, you know? So that would be my, my number one. Um, number two would be my mother, um, because uh, I've only ever gotten to get her do a DSD in the pool in the <laughs> shallow end. In the shallow end, that's all she. That's all she was like able to do, right? So if I could somehow, you know, convince her or get her over her fear and make her comfortable, um, I would want to experience. I would want her to experience the things that I experience, right? So she know like firsthand. She looks at all my videos. She looks at all my pictures, right? But like, I would want her to to know what this like, what what it's like, right? Um, and then my third one, to get a little serious. Um, so recently, uh, I had a a friend, a very very dear friend, pass away. Um, he and I worked together at Jack's Diving Locker. I was his advanced open water instructor as well. Um, his name is is Jeff uh, Jeff Sharp, and it was if you know he's not with us anymore, right? Mm. And, uh, if I could, if I could dive with him one more time, yeah, that would be my, that would be my third. Yeah. Well, that's he, a really special thing to say. Yeah. 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 He loved, he loved frogfish. That was his thing. Um, <laughs> he would take pictures of frogfish no matter what, no matter where. And um, really great, really great photos. And yeah, that would be my, my third person to, to dive with. Yeah. No, excellent answers. Yeah. Really good. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> So like, most of us, uh, we like a good curry, don't we? You know, and uh, do you do you like it? What's your post dive meal? Do you have one? Uh, is there a particular Ooh. meal that you enjoy after a, after a good dive? 
what do you want me did it, i mean i love curry so it's like do you want me to say curry or <laughs> i don't know whether it's just in the uk you know is it worldwide you know we all seem to like a good curry here after yeah. a dive you know is it yeah. the same for you you know what do you like i mean i i love curry but no it's normally like if i'm if I'm like going after a dive, if like after a dive, I'm like, I mean, it's, it's not like the first thing I think of, but I do, I do love it. Um, let's see here. Post dive meal. Uh, who, you know, it probably be just cause it's my favorite thing to eat period. So I'm just going to say sushi. I'm just going to say sushi because it's like, I, I could eat sushi breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day of the week. So yeah, it's like, so something that would like, just, is just, it satisfies me no matter what, when I'm eating it. So yeah. So let's like, yeah, let's go with my favorite meal. So yeah. Sushi. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, and this, is this is probably the most important question of the time of the night. Yeah. yeah is, sure. uh, where, where's your chili level? You know, are we talking Madras, Korma, Fowl? Okay. So if we're doing like, let's do it on a number scale, right? Cause you know, everyone's like every restaurant is even different, right? From going from restaurant to restaurant. So it's like, if zero is, bland right and 10 is like tongue scorching like in pain for half an hour after your meal kind Doc's of bonnet level then really. yeah uh i'm probably at a comfortable six you know address yeah okay yeah if we want to want to call that i i want to feel it i want to feel it but i don't yeah. want to be in pain <laughs> and, I, and i and i don't want to not enjoy my meal you know it's what it's i mean wet up on the back of the head yeah, sweat. Oh no, I think if I develop the sweat, that's probably too much. Too much. But like a tingle in the throat, like a tingle in the throat, a tingle on the tongue, that warming sensation as it goes down. That's like yeah, yeah that's, that's enough. That's where I'm at. That's that's where I'm at. Sparkle with on the tongue, obviously. Yeah, there we go. There we go. I like it. Sparkle on the tongue. Yes, that's that's a good way of putting it. Ian. Yeah, it is. Like yeah. Uh, so, do you have a favorite piece of dive equipment that you can't do without, or you must have on any dive? Dive computer. Dive computer. 100% like that don't even have to think about it like if you don't have a dive computer I'm speaking to all my new like divers out there yeah, if you don't have a dive computer get a dive computer right um the one I have I have a Sunto Eon Steel I love it I right it's a customizable it's backlit it's uh, you know it's colorful it's you know uh, rechargeable batteries right super reliable I've been a Sunto fan for years all of my computers have been Sunto right um, so, but yeah, just dive, so that dive computer or dive computers in general, yes, dive with the computer. Yeah. Just do it. Just do it. Yeah. 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 I agree with that all the way. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. Okay. Um, so if you could put a message, so you've got a billboard and metaphorically mm -hmm. speaking, you could put a message on it to yeah. put a, a message out there to the millions of people. Mm-hmm. You could be a, it could be a photo, it can be an image, it can be a statement, it can be a question, mm. whatever you want to use it for, what are you going to put on the billboard? Ooh. So it can be non-diving related, yeah? Yeah, yeah. If you want. Yeah. If you wanted to tell the millions and billions of people something, mm -hmm. what would you put on it? I think it would be some sort of variation on the golden rule right do unto others as you would want them to do unto you right maybe not those exact words but some sentiment about treating people others kindly and treating them with respect because i feel like you know that if you treat others with kindness and you treat others respectfully 
that lays the foundation of just, just you know, humanity cooperating with each other, right? Because how can you, how can you say something hurtful? How can you do something hurtful if you are adhering to that mantra of being kind and being respectful? Because anyone who is kind and is, you know, has kindness and is being respectful of their fellow humans, they're, they're not going to say something hurtful. They're not going to do something hurtful because yes. those two things are mutually exclusive, right? Um, so, yeah, so it would be some variation on, on, on that, you know, do, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, I think would be my, my message. Yeah, and that can apply to people and, you know, sort of how we treat the planet and everything. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, because the kindness doesn't have to extend just to people, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the environment as well. Be kind and be respectful of it, right? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Oh, that's yeah. good. So for, um, you're, you're on social media, aren't you? You know, mm -hmm. if anyone who's listened to this, so they think they know you or, you know, they want to get in contact, um, you know, providing that's all right, you know, where are they best to to do that? You know, if they want to follow you or say yeah. So I'm, I'm most yeah yeah I'm, I'm most I have a Facebook, but I'm most active on Instagram, and I have my I have my accounts linked so that anything I post on Instagram will also get posted on Facebook. So, but yeah, so it's my <clears throat> my uh, Instagram handle is p miller fourteen. So p m i l l a r one four. Yeah, is my Instagram is my Instagram handle. Right. So I, I posted pictures recently of my day on the suit, which was super fun. Well, uh, I, have, I have pictures of my, uh, yeah, I got some great photos. I have pictures of my um, diving underwater photography photos on there. I like to bake a lot. So it's one of my like non-diving <laughs> hobbies. So there's pictures of me, my baking on there. <laughs> yeah. You're a good guy to know then if you bake. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No, nah, I just made, I made, I made a, uh, my, my roommate a blackberry pie for her birthday just a couple of days ago. So nice. yeah. Great. yeah. <laughs> so P, P Miller, P Miller, Miller spelled with an A 14. Cool. Yeah. I just want to say actually on your photos that you did share, um, mm. the clarity of that water is amazing. It's, it's mm. like, it's like you're in air, not yeah. water. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's infinite visibility. I mean, pretty much, right? So it's like, like I said, the pool is 202 feet uh, long, right? So, you know, we know if we're on like a diagonal, like a, a rectangle, right? This is the hypotenuse, that triangle, that's even longer than the 202 yeah. feet, right? Yeah. So someone could be on, we have stairs at every corner. So someone could be on the stairs at one corner, looking diagonally across the pool. So even longer than 202 feet. And someone on the other stairs could be making an okay hand sign. And you could see you it. See you them. can see it. You can see their hand. You can see if they were holding up however many fingers, you could see how many fingers they were holding up. Nice. Uh, it's, it's, it's that clear. So it's, it's well over 200 feet of visibility, right? So like picture the clearest water you've ever been. Does it ever, get, does it ever go cloudy? Do they ever get a, like a, you know, a day when it goes a bit more cloudy? Because yeah, that's a remarkable yes. clear. Yeah, yeah, it does. Uh, there is. Um, we just, well, specifically we had um, for the last year, um, I mean, they left a few months ago, but we had, we were repainting the walls of the pool. Right. So um, before they painted, they had to pressure wash um, all the old like plaster and stuff like off the walls. Right. So the pumps just couldn't keep up with it. Right. So there was like an 11th month period where the visibility was, it was always good. Right. I mean, it's like, okay, let's, like, you know, let's, <laughs> yeah. but um, definitely not as, um, as uh, crystal light 
uh, as you saw in the picture. There's a hundred meter visibility instead of 120 meters. Yeah, something, something like that. Yeah. But the painters are gone now. So, I mean, so the pumps keep up and it, it's, it's, it hasn't been cloudy in months. Amazing months, clear. Months, months. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I think people will be yeah completely wowed by the pictures when they look you up. No, oh, awesome. I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. yeah, I hope it also generates more interest in um, NASA and the American Space Program mm. as well. Um, it definitely feels like uh, working at the MBL, especially right now, gearing up for the Artemis missions and stuff like that. It really does feel like a part being a part of history, you know, mm. um, because you know this is what you know you know, people were doing, you know, 50 years ago, right? And, um, you know, I, I was, uh, NASA had an open house not too long ago, like a, well, a year or so ago. And um, I was up and I was in an elevator and there was this guy I didn't know, older, older gentleman. And he pointed out a picture to like his family member who was like a kid, right? And he's like, that was me. And it was like during the, um, like the Gemini area, uh, era, right? And it was like, you know, I don't know what his job was, but like there was a photo of him just like, you know, helping people suit up. And I was like, you know, 50 years down the road, you know, I've definitely been in pictures of some of the astronauts who were training in the, like the XAMU suit, right? Like I have a picture of like me and Xena together, right? So it's like that photo may be up somewhere, right? And 50 years from now, I may be saying to a small child, look, that's me in that picture, <laughs> right? Because this is, some, this is a momentous uh, time, I think, for the, um, for the space program, the return to the moon, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah special times. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so have you got any questions for us at all? Um, well, actually, I was kind of curious. It's like, what are your diving backgrounds? Jim? I know that's a long question. But <laughs> well, I'm a very... <laughs> Very new diver. I logged my 18th dive yesterday, so I qualified in July. <laughs> so, You're a brand new baby diver? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. yeah. I started in January and then obviously COVID put a bit of a lid on it and uh, then qualified uh -huh. in July. So I've just got open water paddy at the moment. So, so have, Gemma, have you been with the Big School Podcast for a while then as a non-diver? Yeah. Well, when we initially started it, yes. So I got oh, to talk okay. to all these amazing people, you know, names and, you know, just people that are so enthusiastic about diving and mm -hmm. yeah so that kind of you know inspired you a bit to feel like all these people are talking about it and then i'm actually going to get in the water yeah, it's like five months didn't you yes. <laughs> yeah yeah so and what did you think well i'm really enjoying it i mean yeah it's just you know incredible i've only done uk diving obviously so <laughs> i've had a variation of nil visibility i've done a wreck off our coast here and then we mm. went up to scotland and did you know six sea dives so i've had yeah it's not just been like you know inland waters so mm -hmm. yeah. you're snorkeling in the rivers for quite yeah to practice yeah, yeah prior really to, yeah prior to qualification yeah. so obviously we've only been used to a pool so ian suggested like a hood on gloves on wetsuit on got a mask snorkel and we went in our local river yeah. Okay, are you guys diving? Are you diving wet or are you diving dry? Dry. Summer. Oh, okay. In summer, you can get away with um, in the wetsuits. Yeah. When, mm -hmm. Most of the time, though, in the UK, it's really dry suit, really. But yeah. in the height of the summer, you can, the sea will get to about 18 degrees in the yeah, sea. Yeah, it's comfy. So, mm -hmm. uh, what's that in Fahrenheit? About 40, 30, 40 yeah, something. something like that. It's like, it's a, it's a, I think, double it and then add 30 yeah. i think yeah. it's like the quick sort of the quick and dirty conversion 
I think uh, so. It, it's it's doable in a wetsuit, but only mm-hmm. really the the height of summer. And now it's sort of like kind of getting to the limits of it, really, mm-hmm. um, of wetsuit. And it's I think a lot of it depends on whether how you um, how you are with the cold, really, mm-hmm. um, and also how deep and how long you're going to be as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, going to go deep, then obviously you really want to be in a dry suit. But, uh, Quite nice Gemma, having a cozy dry suit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, congratulations to you, Gemma. Yeah, I hope you your much. I hope your diving journey continues and you get to go to all of these amazing places that you've been hearing about. Obviously, I'm yeah, on, exactly. on the podcast. So yeah, definitely. Come come dive Hawaii. Go dive Hawaii. Yeah. No. It was yeah. I've got this <laughs> long list of places to go <laughs> now. Yeah. <laughs> What about you, Ian? What about you? Where I've did, been you... diving for um, what, about five years, five, six years, mm-hmm. and dive master for about three, three, four mm-hmm. years. Um, really enjoy the role. Uh, you know, mm, I've never ruled out ever going out to an instructor, but I just really enjoy the dive master role. And yeah. it kind of speaks to me, really. So I um, quite like it. I, I will admit, if I could make the same amount of money dive mastering as I could teaching, like instructing, I would yeah. be dive master forever. Yeah, like, it's a nice role. Dive mastering is super fun. It's super yeah. fun. I actually like it more than teaching, but practicality-wise, you know what I mean. It's like, yeah, it's, um, yeah teach, teaching is where you know you, you make more money teaching. But yeah, yeah, I would dive master all day every day if I could because I get it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. Uh, it's all right. I quite enjoy it. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yes, yeah. yeah, so we've got a yeah journey ahead of us. I'll skip the journey. That's brilliant. But thank you very much for your time. You know, thank you very much for you know doing this with us. That's brilliant. Thank you for having me. It's been a it's been a pleasure. And um, let's keep in touch. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Hi, right, you guys. Have a good night. Yes. yes lovely. Okay. Have a good day. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Welcome back. So, Jen, that was good, wasn't it? Yeah, really interesting. Yeah, and links really well with our chat with Mike Fink, the astronaut. It did. You know, it was really good to hear him talking about his diving career and uh, how that helped him and progressed and uh, how he's enjoying, you know, being a diver in the uh, neutral buoyancy lab. Yeah, and he still teaches as well, doesn't he? So that's uh, great to hear. That is, that is absolutely brilliant. So I want to say a big thank you to Peter for being involved. Dial back to that at some stage in the future, you know, yeah. when we go over there and uh, have a splash around. Yeah, in a 12 metre pool, that'd be great fun. Yeah, it'd be awesome, wouldn't it? It'd be really good. So, so Jem, who is coming up next, pray I ask? Well, we have Alex Mustard, MBE. He is an underwater photographer and quite he's a well so, He is, and he's really good. Uh, so look out for that. But Alex Mustard is also, he was the judge on Blue o, our friends Blue O2 Dive and Life competition, wasn't he? And that's was. one of the other reasons why uh, we've got Alex coming on um, to talk about why he chose those photographs and the winners. Mm. He, they, because they've got this great calendar. There we are. Yeah. The calendar 2021 Dive and Life photography competition. Yeah, and it's available to buy if you go to the Blue O2 website. You can click and order your copy. That we can. And uh, you've got lots of really great photographs which are all part of the competition and were chosen by Alex. And uh, the winning photograph is on there as well. So 
go grab an order your calendar now so there we are and you've got to go there to the blue o2 website yep blueo2.com really easy one but also alex is bringing out a book gem did you know called diving the thistlegorn he is yeah which is an amazing book it is and the, it's an amazing wreck first discovered by jack Cousteau and um in the 50s i believe or late or early 60s so i'm sure somebody will correct me and do write in if you've got the right answer there's no prizes for that competition but do write in and let us know but anyway jack Cousteau found it and that was kind of forgotten about and then it was all um found again and people started diving again in the 80s 90s and mm. i dived it 2018 um with blue o2 first liverboard uh i dived with and um blue melody really good they really take care of you and it was a really good wreck yes a lot uh all sorts of stuff octopus you name it it's all all there you know and it's a really good wreck and you know quite a few people said that's their favorite dive to favorite wreck to dive mm. a lot of people said that very well known one it's a very well known one it certainly is and uh, it's a good one to do actually for new divers and uh, ones who are now cutting the teeth on liverboards and you know but you do need to be at least uh, an advanced diver because mm. most of that wreck is about getting on for 30 meters so it's out of the reach for someone like yourself on yeah. A yeah. open water so you need to progress but you know the advanced level is a good one to get to anyway so there we go so look out for that it's got a new book i think it might even come out today yes and it's from uh dived up publications as well which is the same book that links to will appleyard's wild and temperate seas that came out a couple of links to our previous podcast yeah unbelievable isn't it? And, and people just think we throw these episodes together just throw a few ideas up in the air and look how they come back then <laughs> i don't know how you do it jim <laughs> well, i don't know but anyway it's good that we do and so look out for Alex Mustard MBE coming on the next episode of the Big School Podcast. So I think that's enough from me. Yeah, I think that's tied everything up. Look forward to seeing everyone on episode 47. Certainly will. And uh, we'll speak to you all again soon. Okay. Bye. See you later. <laughs>